Yesterday afternoon, I was sitting in front of my computer, and I typed this question into a search engine. How can I find joy? Well, in less than one second, I had over 54 million responses about how to find joy. For example, how to find joy in art, how to find joy in photography, how to find joy in reading, how to find joy in housework. I think you have to really be spiritual to find joy in housework. How to find joy in mathematics, how to find joy within you. And for those who like an action plan when it comes to finding joy, you could read about 10 steps to finding joy at work or five steps to finding joy in everyday circumstances or three steps to finding joy in trying times. Did you know that you can even download the Find Joy app on your phone? Imagine that. Well, today we're beginning a new series of messages that's based on a book of the Bible called Philippians. And notice this statement on your outline. It says, the book of Philippians teaches us the kind of perspective a follower of Christ must have in order to experience joy and peace in a world filled with trouble. That's the theme of this letter. And let me begin with a few observations about joy. First of all, joy is elusive. It's hard to find, even harder to keep, as the following story points out. A man made an appointment to see a psychologist. He arrived at the office and said to him, Doctor, I always feel depressed. No matter what I do, I still feel depressed. I just don't know what to do. The psychologist looked at him and said, Come with me to the window. The man followed, and then the psychologist pointed outside and said, Do you see that tent over there in the distance? Well, there's a circus in town, and it is really good. There are a lot of acts to watch, especially the clowns, and there is one clown in particular who is extremely funny. His name is Grimaldi, and he will make you roar with laughter. You must see Grimaldi. Once you do, I guarantee that you will not have any reason to be depressed again. The man turned to the psychologist with sad eyes and said, Doctor, I cannot do what you suggest. Why not, the doctor asked. The man replied, because you see, I am Grimaldi. We all know that joy can be hard to find and even harder to keep. Joy is even difficult to define, but here's one way to describe it. Joy is a sense of contentment, a sense of well-being that comes from believing that God loves you and is working to accomplish his purpose in your life. The Bible talks a lot about joy, and the Bible says that it is possible to live with joy in a world filled with trouble. Now, there's a verse in the book of Galatians that describes the kind of life that is possible when you have a close relationship with Christ. And this is a familiar verse to, to some of you. It's Galatians 5.22, and it says this, But the fruit of the Spirit, the characteristics and the life of somebody closely connected to Jesus through the Holy Spirit, is love, and what's the next thing listed? Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Now, you can raise your hand on this question. How many of you have ever tried to grow fruit? Several, I see, okay. Uh, my wife, Chris, and I have tried to grow all kinds of stuff in our garden at home. And if you've ever tried to grow fruit, you know this, that fruit doesn't grow and ripen overnight. It takes time and patience and cultivation to make it grow. And there are obstacles when it comes to growing fruit. Now, let me just throw this out. What are some obstacles that you encounter when you're trying to grow stuff to eat? Come on, farmer people. T tell me some things that are obstacles. Bugs. Okay, you can shout it out loud. Bugs. 
What is that? Animals. Okay, iguanas. We had iguanas that ate our tomatoes. Okay. Um, bugs, weather, soil conditions. There's all these obstacles when you're trying to grow fruit. Well, then, much the same way, there are obstacles in cultivating the fruit of joy in your life. Things like pressure and problems and pain and pessimism and discouragement and doubt. And just as growing fruit is a process, learning to become a joyful person is a process. And it is not only possible, but if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, being joyful is actually a command. The Bible says in Philippians 4.4, Rejoice in the Lord always. And then for emphasis, I will say it again, rejoice. And here's what's so important for us to understand. God doesn't just give us a command and then walk away. If God gives us a command, God will enable us to carry out that command. And that's one of the reasons that he's given us his book of Philippians. To guide us into a life of peace and joy in a world that's filled with trouble. Now take a look at the statement on your outline. It says this, before Jesus went to the cross, he taught his disciples about joy, about peace, and about trouble. Now, Jesus clearly wants us to live with joy, and he wants us to live with peace. Look at this verse. This is from John chapter 15. Jesus says to his disciples, I have told you these things so that you may be filled with whose joy? My joy. Jesus has this joy that he wants to share with us, and he says, yes, your joy will, and what's the next word? Overflow. Jesus doesn't want to give you just a little bit of joy, just enough joy to get through the day. He actually wants to have you overflow with joy. And not only with joy, but with peace. Look at this next verse. Jesus says this, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have what? Yeah, Jesus tells us. Nobody gets by with a free pass. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Now let me ask you this. How many of you would like to have more joy in your life? More peace in your life. I would too. And that really is the purpose of this series. That's what I hope to accomplish. And my prayer as we go through this book is that God will use his word to teach us how to have more joy and how to, how to have more peace no matter what's happening in our lives right now. And so today I want to do this. I want to give you a brief introduction to this book of the Bible. And let me say this. We did a survey. Pastor Phil put together a survey a couple of weeks ago for the guys in our church and it was in preparation for a men's retreat. And one of the questions had to do with spiritual topics. And guys were asked to rate, you know, which topics they were most interested in. Do you know what was at the top of the list? How to study the Bible. And I was so encouraged by that. So what I'd like to do this morning is to give you a simple pattern for studying any book of the Bible and applying it to your life. And it really begins with a couple of key questions. So here's the first question, and this is on your outline. Who is the author? Whenever you read a book of the Bible, that's a good place to start. Who is the author of the book? And the letter begins this way. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. So a man named Paul wrote this letter to the Philippians. And he calls himself a servant of Christ. Now that wasn't always the case because earlier in his life, Paul, who was formerly known as Saul, was a very intense young man. And he wanted to make a reputation for himself. He was highly educated. Before the age of 21, he had the equivalent of two PhDs, and he was on a mission to destroy the early church until he had a close encounter with Christ. And this man, who had been so selfish and prideful and judgmental, was transformed into a man who was humble and compassionate and joyful, even though there was a lot of trouble in his life. Now, here's the next question to consider as we 
explore the book of Philippians. To whom is the letter written? And again, it's right here in this verse. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus, where? At Philippi. So it's written to believers in a city called Philippi, named after Philip, who was the father of Alexander the Great. And this city is a great commercial center. It's also a Roman colony. Now, it was a custom of Rome to send out troops of veteran soldiers who had served their time in the military and been granted citizenship to settle strategic locations throughout the empire. And what they would do is send about 300 soldiers along with their wives and kids to establish a colony. And so Philippi was steeped in Roman culture and Roman customs. And that's going to be important as we explore the book. And then the next letter, the next question is this. When was the letter written? Well, most scholars date this between 59 and 61 AD. And this is when Paul is a prisoner in Rome. And that's very important context because Paul in, in prison is writing about how to have peace and how to have joy even though he is on trial before Caesar. And the verdict is only going to go one of two ways. He's going to live or he's going to die. And in that setting, Paul tells us what it means to live with joy. And then finally, this question, why was the letter written? Why was it written? Well, a couple of reasons. First of all, Paul wanted to thank the people in Philippi for their financial support. And that he also wanted to thank them for sending this guy named Epaphroditus to help him. Now, we'll learn more about Epaphroditus later. And by the way, when you get home to heaven and some guy walks up to you and says, Hi, I'm Epaphroditus. Um, did you read about me in the Bible? You'll be able to say, You know what? Yeah, I know exactly where you're found. You're found in the book of? The book of? Okay, it's, it's true. It's in the book of Philippians. Good. Now, here's another reason that Paul wrote the letter to encourage the Philippians in the trials that they're going through. Um, Paul was forced to leave Philippi after a storm of persecution broke out, and this persecution has followed. And so now the Philippians are going through some really tough things in their lives, and Paul wants them to be able to still have peace and to still have joy. And there's one word that makes that possible, and the word is this, perspective. How you see things determines how you react to things. See, after Paul became a follower of Jesus, he saw everything in his life differently. You could say that Paul had a pair of gospel glasses. And he saw everything in light of Jesus Christ and his mission. He saw his story as part of this larger story that God was writing. And friends, that's true for you and me as well. If you want to live with joy in this world, if you want to have more peace, you have to see your life through gospel glasses. You have to see your story as part of this greater story that God is writing. Now, there are some verses I want to show you that, that talk about perspective. One is from the Old Testament. It's this verse from Psalm 16. It says, I have set the Lord continually before me. It's the idea of focusing on God. I have set the Lord continually before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. And then this verse as well from the book of Hebrews, it says this, Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes where? on Jesus. See, wearing gospel glasses enables you to do this, to be able to look at whatever situation you're facing in your life and say, you know what? I can see because I'm wearing my gospel glasses that God really does care about me. I can see because I'm wearing my gospel glasses that God is in control of every situation in my life. And think about this. Isn't that what the story of Jesus teaches us? That God cares and that God is ultimately in control. Think about John 3.16, one of the most famous verses in the whole Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever, 
Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal what? Life. See, Jesus came to this world to give us a new life. And it begs the question, well, why do we need a new life? And the answer is because we ruined the one that God gave us. We're born into this world with a heart that pulls us away from God's purpose and God's plan. And the Bible calls that sin, that we all have intentionally disobeyed God. And our sin separates us from God because God's holy and we're not. And because God is not only holy but just, he has to punish every sin we've ever committed. And the Bible says clearly this just punishment is to die and to be separated from God forever. But the good news of the gospel is that God really, really loves you. And so God makes a way for our relationship with him to be restored. And that's what Jesus coming to this world is all about. The Bible says there's one God, but he exists in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And God the Father sends God the Son, Jesus, to earth. And Jesus does what no human being had ever done. He lives a perfect life. And that uniquely qualifies him to lay down his life in exchange for us. And friends, that's why Jesus allows himself to be arrested and beaten and crucified because on the cross, God's willing to do this, to take your sin and mine and put our sin on Jesus and punish him in our place. The wrath of God against sin is poured out on Jesus instead of us and Jesus dies, but that's not the end of the story. The good news is that Jesus Christ comes back to life and he offers us a new life, a life where we can really experience peace, where we can really experience joy, even though the world is broken, even though there is such pain and suffering, not just in our lives, but in the lives of those we love. And so Paul, as he talks about this gospel, this good news, he actually is going to point out four factors that affect our experience of joy. And these are on your outline. And here's the first, circumstances circumstances affect our experience of joy now let me ask you this how do you typically respond to the circumstances in your life think about this past week here's how most people react when things are good how do you feel good when things are bad how do you feel bad it really is kind of a direct correspondence I mean if you're strong and healthy and there's money in the bank and your job's going well and there's not much family conflict how do you feel I'm pretty happy but what if there is conflict in your family and the bank account is getting low and maybe you lose your job? How do you feel then? Sort of unhappy? Well, here's the, the important distinction between happiness and joy. Happiness is based on the word happenstance. Happiness is related to circumstances, but joy is not. You can have joy. You can have the sense of well-being, the sense of contentment, the sense of believing that God loves you and that he's at work in your life regardless of the circumstances. And this is the kind of joy that Paul experienced himself and actually writes about. Now remember, there's been a lot of trouble in Paul's life and he's writing this letter during his imprisonment in Rome. And this is what he says in chapter one. He says, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. Now what are some of the things that have happened to Paul? Well, he was illegally arrested in the temple in Jerusalem. He was held prisoner in Caesarea for two years. On the way to Rome to appeal to Caesar, he was shipwrecked. So all these things have happened to him, but how does Paul see them? Well, he is wearing what? He's wearing gospel glasses because Paul sees everything that happens to him in light of his mission to serve Jesus Christ. And that's why he says this. Look at the verse again. He says, I want you to know that what's happened to me has actually served to advance what? The gospel. 
You see, and as you read through the letter, it's really clear that Paul really does have this gospel perspective because he says this. He says that I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ. He doesn't say I'm a prisoner of Rome. And when he's facing this trial, he says, I am sent here as a defense for the gospel. Everything that he does, everything that he attempts in his life is seen through gospel glasses. And that's why he's able to have joy. That's why he's able to experience peace. And that's true for us as well. Now, here's something else that affects our experience of joy. Number two on your outline, people, people. Now, don't raise your hands on this, but are there people who make you really joyful? Are there people who make you less than really joyful? Yeah, you know, God wants us to enjoy the people in our lives, not annoy the people in our lives. I was thinking a few weeks ago, I was here on a Saturday morning. We were getting ready to leave for Honduras on our missions trip. And so we brought our team into the room here, and all around us, there was this army of volunteers getting ready for vacation Bible school. And it was really exciting just to sense the, the joy that was in that room, because we had a common goal. We had a common mission. A group of people were getting ready to tell the kids in our church and the kids in our community about Jesus, and we had a whole other team that was going to Honduras to do exactly the same thing. We had a partnership that was centered around the gospel that brought us joy. And that's exactly what Paul describes in this next passage. He says, I thank my God every time I remember you. and all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with what? With joy. Why? Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Now, we know that there were certain people in Paul's life that brought him a great deal of pain. In fact, he mentions them by name in the Bible. But there were other people that brought Paul great joy. And I think it's really interesting because he says this. Take a look at this verse again. He says in the middle, being confident of this, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Paul looked at people with gospel glasses because he understood that God was still working in people's lives. You know, that's so important for us. If we're going to enjoy the people that God's placed in our lives, we need to remember that, that God isn't finished with us yet. And that enables us to actually look at each other and experience joy. Now, here's something else that affects our experience of joy. Number three on your outline, things. Or if you prefer, the word stuff. Now, this is a reality for many people. The more stuff you have, the more happiness you have, right? But what happens if you lose your stuff? Yeah, for a lot of people, they lose their happiness. What would happen, just think about this, if you woke up tomorrow morning and half of your stuff was gone, would you be able to have any joy? You see, if you had your gospel glasses on, you could look at stuff and say, you know what? This stuff doesn't define who I am. It's not my source of identity. This stuff is not really my source of significance or even my source of security. My identity my significance, my security, depends on Jesus. And that's a relationship I can never lose. Now, Paul had come to this conclusion. Look at this passage from Philippians chapter 4. Paul says, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I know what it is to have a lot of stuff and to have very little stuff. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether living in plenty or in want. And here's this classic statement, I can do everything through him, through Christ, who gives me strength. Now here's one more thing that affects our experience of joy. In fact, it often steals our joy. Worry. Worry. Now how do you, 
deal with worry? Well, Paul shows us the answer here in Philippians chapter 4. He says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Now, what happens if you actually do this? He says, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Let me ask you this. How many of you have experienced the reality of that verse? Ever been in a situation where you had this peace that just settled on you and you thought, wow, where is this coming from? It comes from God. It's God's gift to us. And Paul actually tells us how to experience peace, how to combat anxiety. He says, look, first of all, be thankful. Have this attitude of gratitude. Thank God for who he is. Thank God for what he's doing, for what he's done, for what he's promised to do. And tell God what you need. I think the, the root cause of anxiety is just simply believing we're not going to have what we need. I won't have the money that I need. I won't have the patience that I need. I won't have the wisdom that I need. Well, God says, well, then ask me because I'm a good father and I love to give good gifts to my children. And so right here in this, this letter, Paul says, look, here's how you deal with worry. Thank God for what he's done and tell him what you need. I'd like to just close with with this idea, I'd like for you to take a look at the cover of your bulletin this morning. And Bruce, there we go. Okay, this is a picture on the cover of your bulletin. What do you see? What do you see in that picture? What do you see? A pothole. Good. It's pavement and there's a, a pothole. There's a mud puddle. But if you look carefully, what do you see in the water of the mud puddle? Yeah, you see blue sky and white clouds. See, in our journey through life, joy really is a matter of what? Perspective. It's what we choose to focus on. And so I want to ask you this, this question. When you look at your life right now, what do you see? Think about that. As you look at your life on this Sunday morning, July the 9th, what do you see? Do you see problems? and pressure, and pain? Do you see discouragement, and doubt, and disappointment? How many of you have ever heard this phrase? It is what it is. How many of you have ever said that before? Okay. That's certainly true. It is what it is. I mean, we can try to live in denial when life is hard and pretend that things are okay. Reminds me of a t-shirt that I saw one time. I wish I had this t-shirt to show you this morning. It was a, a cow, and the cow is lying on its back. Its feet are pointed up in the air, and there are vultures circling overhead. And this other cow walks up to the upside-down cow. It says, hey, how you doing? And the upside-down cow says, fine. I'm just fine. Friends, being joyful isn't pretending that you're fine when life is hard. A joyful person is willing to say it is what it is. But they're also willing to go far beyond that because a joyful person is not just realistic. A joyful person is optimistic. Because here's the reality. What we see today is only part of the story that God is writing. Do you realize that? What you see going on in your life today and in the lives of those you love is only part of the story that God is writing. Just yesterday, I was looking through the mail that had accumulated while I was out of town and I picked up this copy of Voice of the Martyrs, and in the July issue, the lead story is about the war on Christians in Sudan. 
And some of you may know that story. The, the government there is trying to eradicate Christians in the entire nation. The president of Voice of the Martyrs is a man named Jim Dow. And two years ago, I had the privilege of traveling with Jim and his son um, through different places in Colombia. And talking to him, we spent hours talking. And I was just so impressed with his commitment to Christ and his commitment to persecuted believers. And he says this, he says, all, the work, all of the work we perform in these conflict areas is illegal. He's talking about Sudan in this article. Meeting our persecuted Christian family to encourage them, bring them practical help, and pray with them makes us an enemy of the state of Sudan. The penalty for this crime is a 20-year sentence, one that was recently given to our former Africa Regional Director, Peter Jasek, who spent 445 days in prison after his arrest. This man was recently released, and uh, there was a great celebration by the Voice of the Martyr staff. And Jim goes on to write this, 13 of our staff members, including Executive Vice President Cole Richards and myself, have traveled in the active war zones and are guilty of committing this crime. Friends, um, many of you know that my wife Chris and I have had the privilege of going to places where believers are persecuted. And one of the things that I've been so encouraged by and so amazed at is the kind of joy that they have. And the question is, how can people that are in these war-torn places where there's incredible suffering and deprivation have joy? And Jim Dow goes on and he writes this, in addition to witnessing their suffering, we are also first-hand witnesses of our brothers' and sisters' eternal victories. We see God working amid the atrocities. Listen to this. We see the joy, the joy on pastors' faces when they receive new Bibles, the gratitude of women who receive blankets to keep their children warm, and the relief of medical workers who receive supplies to fill their clinic's empty cabinets. I was thinking as I was working on this message, what is it like to be a, a Christian in an area like this, a Christian in Sudan, and to pick up Paul's letter to the Philippians and to read that verse, Rejoice in the Lord! Always, I'll say it again, rejoice. How is it even possible to rejoice in those kinds of circumstances? And I think the answer is this, and this applies to us as well. We need to understand Paul's perspective, the, the perspective of New Testament writers, because when they're talking about joy, they're not talking about the power of positive thinking. They're talking about the power of future-oriented thinking. Because for these writers, including Paul, they saw all the events in their life in the light of the ultimate return and victory of Jesus Christ. They knew the story is not over. Now, who taught them to do that, to look past the present to the future? Well, Jesus himself. Because in the book of Hebrews, it says that Jesus endured the cross because of the joy set before him. He saw that the suffering wasn't the end of the story, that his suffering was going to accomplish something in God's plan of redemption. And I really believe this. If you want to be a more joyful person, and I certainly do, I believe that so many of you do as well, if you want to have more peace in your life, you really do need gospel glasses. And church, my prayer is this, that, that we'll learn to put on our gospel glasses and that with eyes of faith, we'll really see that God loves us, 
that God is concerned about the smallest detail of our lives and we will believe with all of our heart that God is the sovereign sentinel who stands guard at the gate of our lives and only allows in that which he can use for our good and for his glory. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for the encouragement that we have in these words of Paul that you've preserved for us for so many years. God, I believe that it is possible to have more joy and to have more peace. But God, we really do have to learn to have a different perspective. And Father, for our church, I pray this. God, help us to have gospel glasses. Help us to see our stories through the story that you're writing. And Lord, today, I pray for the person who maybe for the first time is understanding that they really need a Savior. And his name is Jesus. And God, I just pray that they would say in their hearts right now, it doesn't have to be these exact words, but just to tell you, God, I need you. I know that I've, I've failed you in so many ways. I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. And I believe Jesus died for my sins and came back to life. And I want to follow him. God, you always honor that prayer. And Father, for those of us who have made that decision to follow Jesus, Lord, as we go through this, this book in the next weeks, I, I pray, Lord, that you would enable us to experience more joy and more peace as we keep our eyes on Jesus. For we pray in his name, amen.